How you doing, Hub City? Happy Sunday. Uh, good morning, and uh, it is great to be with you uh, this morning online, in person, wherever. Um, and as Josh said, we're looking at First and Second Corinthians uh, this whole year. We're just spending our time in these two big books, looking uh, as we look at it this summer, we're looking at an assortment of texts kind of bouncing around throughout these two letters. Um, and week to week might feel like, okay, well, we talk about this, and then we talk about that. And, and sometimes as you're moving through these letters, you're going to hit a variety of different themes. And Paul is just writing to the early church on a variety of different matters. Um, and, and I think it's so relevant to uh, our church and many churches in this uh, current season, current climate, time. And, and space and, and eternity and, and all of that. Um, over the summer, we're listening uh, to a variety of different voices, too. You're going to see some guest speakers in the coming weeks uh, come and share from these texts. And I'm really excited for you to hear uh, some of my colleagues and friends and um, guest speakers that we're going to have come and share. Uh, plus, I'm also excited because I get a vacation. So hallelujah. The Lord is good. Uh, but uh, I just want to let you know, man, I love these two letters, and I have loved taking our time just stewing in it for this year, and um, today's text, we, we hit this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, and it might be a passage that we would quickly just skip over, because it's lawsuits and lawyers, and you know, everybody loves lawyers and lawsuits, and so you're reading it in your Bible, and you might quickly just like skim right over it, uh, or, or skip past that, because you're like, what does that have to do with me, you know? I, I don't know about you, I, I've never had to hire a lawyer, hallelujah, right? I, I've never been in a lawsuit yet. Uh, hopefully, that's a long yet from now. Uh, and, and so I read this passage very quickly, and okay, cool, great, Paul, move along. And, and, and yet the text that we're looking at today, uh, Paul is correcting these two guys in the early church in Corinth, and these guys are squabbling because one man has, uh, ha- has tricked another and scammed another out of his finances, and they're squabbling and fighting about it and involving lawyers in the courts. We're going to talk about that. Uh, But in in this dynamic of being scammed in church, it it sparked a question, uh, thinking about all these uh, scams just in general, right? And how many of you, show of hands, here we go, this is going to be fun, because you can be honest in church, how many of you have ever fell for a scam? Come on, show of hands. How many of you have been scammed before? They're coming for us. And as I was preparing for this week, I noticed them all over the place. Email scams, phone call scams. I'm getting text scams, right? Nobody? No one else has fallen for a scam. Come on now. I thought I won a trip to Hawaii one time. Uh, Nope, didn't happen. Uh, Pop-up scams. Hey, let's clean up your computer and make your Wi-Fi more secure. Click, click. No, no, no. Undo, undo, undo. Right? They're coming for you. How many of you have supported a Nigerian prince? Anyone? No one? You've invested in a better stock tip than somebody else? You've secured, you know, uh, a a trip somewhere or helped somebody in a crisis. Uh, But I'm sure we either ourselves have been scammed, we know someone who's been scammed. Um, And and like the church in Corinth, that kind of deception isn't just reserved for outside of the church. Sometimes that happens inside the church, and that makes us feel yuck, right? It feels gross to, to hear those stories where people feel tricked and manipulated and kind of scammed. Uh, within the church, we feel like the church should be a safe place, uh, that Christians should be trustworthy. We should be able to trust each other, especially in that financial aspect. But I, I would also venture to guess that that feeling of being scammed 
goes beyond just the financial realm of our lives, that we might feel scammed within the church in, a, in, in other ways. You might feel uh, somebody made promises to you, and those promises were broken. Somebody, uh, you put your trust in somebody, and they didn't meet those expectations. Sometimes in church we can feel used. You just want something from me. And then once you get it, you drop me. You don't need me. And we almost feel this emotional or relational or spiritual scam that's taking place. Like, I just feel like a part of a transaction to you that I'm being swindled and, and taken advantage of. And I think that, unfortunately, that can happen not just in work or outside in our culture, but it happens in church. Let me ask you this question. You can shout it from the rooftops. How do you feel when you've realized you've been scammed? Shout it out. How do you feel? Angry. What? You got to be a little bit louder. Dump. You feel deceived. You feel foolish. What else? How do you feel? Used. Manipulated. What? You feel revengey. You feel angry. You feel cheated. Those feelings that rise up in you, I want you to be honest with those feelings because that's what Paul is addressing in this letter, and that's what we can sometimes feel within the church community, right? And then how do we want to respond with those feelings? When you've been scammed, think outside of the church, inside of the church, whatever it is, how do you necessarily want to respond? You can shout that out too, it's okay. You want to attack. You want to be angry. How many of you want to make it right? When you realize you've been duped into an email scam, how many of you want to make it right? Right? When I thought I won a trip to Hawaii, I called back and I, make it right. Delete everything. Give me my information back. When you realize that you've been duped or scammed or misled or manipulated or used or whatever it is, you want to get even. You want, how many of you want? A pound of flesh. Give me mine. I want to get even with them. And in our culture, we might even say, see a common occurrence that people would litigate. They would involve lawyers in lawsuits and they would sue them. Oh, I'm coming after you. And it's not uncommon in our, in our culture to, to use the court system to Get our pound of flesh, right? And these are, you know, sometimes legitimate reasons, sometimes very ridiculous reasons, right? The coffee was too hot and it burned my skin, right? The uh, Budweiser that I drank didn't seem to attract the beautiful people like it did in the commercials. Uh, I didn't like my grade in class, so I sued my professor for giving me a C plus. You held me back. Which, by the way, all three of those are legitimate lawsuits that happened. Somebody sued for coffee being too hot, drinking too much beer and not being attractive, who knew, and not liking their grades. Those are legitimate. Like, not legitimate in like, yeah, you really had a foot to stand on, but legitimate like that actually happened. Because we feel misled, we feel used, we feel manipulated, we feel that sense of aggression, we feel that anger, we feel duped, we feel cheated, and we want to win because we lost something. When we feel cheated, we feel used, we feel scammed, we lost something, and now we look to win. 
And today, we're going to recognize these moments in life, and, and even in the church, this can happen, where life just is unfair. I have to tell my kids some that sometimes, life is just not fair. Does anybody think life is fair? No hands. For those at home watching, there's no hands. No one thinks that life is going to be fair. So how do we navigate this? How do we put the gospel at the center of those kind of interpersonal conflicts that can happen within the church? How do we learn in a moment where we feel that we've lost something and we want to win, how do we learn to lose like Jesus? Because Jesus lost. I'm, I'm not being crass to say Jesus was a loser, right? He was betrayed, he was cheated, he was hurt, he lost everything. So how do we lose like Jesus so that we can see a victory for Jesus. And that's the main point of today. Everything we're talking about today is this idea of losing like Jesus so that we can see a victory for Jesus. We can see Jesus win. And this section of Corinthians that Paul is talking about, he's calling out the Corinthians because they're not losing like Jesus. They're frustrated with each other, and so what do they do? They start fighting to win like everyone else in their culture. They go to the court system. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, If any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? So Paul recognizes this dispute. Now, this dispute is not a criminal matter. Paul is not trying to sweep under the rug some broken laws, some criminal activity, and, and unfortunately, we live in a broken world where criminal activity does happen even within the church. People make bad choices. They break the law, they're immoral, they are abusive in their behavior, things like that. They do wrong things, and I, 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 today is not to say um, hide those things, cover those things. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody that broke a criminal law, and Paul's like, let's just turn a blind eye to it and sweep it under the rug. No, when somebody breaks the law, even in church, we need to call it out for what it is, bring it to the light process, and do process and do the right thing in that way. Uh, um, we are not about covering things up. But Paul isn't talking about a breaking of a law. He's not talking about laws that were broken or criminal activity that's taken place or uh, you know, leadership abuse that was somehow being hushed or anything like that. What he's seeing here is one man was defrauded by another and he's looking at this situation. Are your feelings valid? Yes. Were laws broken? No. And yet they take it to court to win. And in the ancient court system, it was a little bit different than our current court systems. It was, at that time and in that culture, it was done in the city square. I found this fascinating. They would go to the city square, there would be a judge and a plaintiff and a defendant and all of these things, and then people would show up and they would watch as the plaintiff and the defendant would give their case and they would plead their case and they would do so in this very animated, entertaining fashion. And so people would show up to watch this because it was like ancient reality TV right? It was like the real housewives of Corinth. They would just show up, and they would want to watch. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to squabble? What's going to win? You know, and, and so they're watching these proceedings take place in the city square constantly. And so Paul is seeing this happen within the church, and he calls them out on it. He says, we've got to handle our stuff differently. And he continues to correct them in verses 5 through 6. He says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead one brother goes to the law, goes to law, goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. 
So Paul is correcting them, and like a spiritual parent, he does the parental thing. Shame on you. Shame on you. How many of you have had a parent say that to you when you were a kid, right? Or a grandma or somebody like that. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Paul's a spiritual parent to these guys. He's saying, shame, I'm saying this to rattle your cage a little bit. I'm disappointed, guys. Why are you airing your dirty laundry for everyone to hear? You're bringing this to the city square to talk about how one guy defrauded you, and you're not solving this within. You're bringing it out and airing this dirty laundry to everybody. And as we read this today, we do this, but we just don't do it in a city square. In the court system, what do we do? We air it all on Facebook. I can't believe the pastor said blank. I can't believe this leader said blah, 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 right? I can't believe the people in my life group, blah, 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 yada, 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 and we post, and then we do it in these like discreet ways where we exclude their name, but everybody knows who and what you're talking about. We air our dirty laundry for everyone to see, and then we read the comments, and we allow them to post their comments and like and dislike and give an emoji about how they feel about our disappointments and our frustrations and our disagreements. Or some of us aren't on social media, hallelujah. We've been free, but we find other ways. We gossip. We don't call it gossip. What do we call it? Venting. I'm venting. I need to vent. I need to just get some things off my chest, but I will end up openly, we end up openly talking about the frustrations and the hurts and the relational scams and the spiritual betrayals and the, uh, you know, uh, emotional cheating that we feel within. And we vent and we air it out for everyone to hear. And Paul's seeing this in the Corinthian church and he's, he's course correcting, he's challenging them. And I think Paul's bothered, one, He's bothered by conflict, obviously. Like, he doesn't want them to be fighting against each other, a divided church like this. This isn't good. He doesn't want conflict dividing the church. But secondly, he's looking at it and saying, guys, the way you're handling this conflict is detrimental to the gospel having a resonating power within our city. You are affecting the way people will respond to the gospel because you go out and you just blah, 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 and we tell all of our... our dirty laundry to everybody else. Think about it this way. How many of you have ever watched a moment of Judge Judy? Right? You're sitting there at a doctor's office, or you're sitting there at Jiffy Lube waiting for your car to get done, and Judge Judy's on, and that's it. And so you have to watch it. Right? Because that's just what you have to do when it's on. And you're watching Judge Judy. And how many of you have ever watched a squabble on Judge Judy and thought, man, I want to hang out with those people I like what they got. Anybody? Again, no hands up in the room. Well, Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, Corinthians, people are looking at you, and they're saying, I don't know if I want what they got. The good news of Jesus may not be that good. If that's the way they're going to treat each other, and that's the way they're going to fight, and that's the way they're going to lose, it must not be that good. In fact, we see this in verse 7 when he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have already complete, you've already been completely defeated already. You have been completely defeated already. The fact that you're doing this. You win the lawsuit. Great. 
Golf clap for you. You won the lawsuit, but guess what? You lost. You got your pound of flesh, but you ended up still losing because when we fight like everyone else to win, it's still a loss for Jesus. What do we mean a loss for Jesus? You win your lawsuit. You win your argument. You win being right in that moment, but you lost influence and credibility and and the reputation of the gospel in your city. You win your pound of flesh, but you know what you lost? You lost the moment to be refined and shaped and molded into the character of Jesus. We lost that. And he's saying, man, you guys are, Corinthian church, you're fighting to win like everyone else, and you're going to lose. And he, he pivots it. He pivots this conversation on two rhetorical questions that I found very fascinating, very simple. And again, we might just breeze right over it, but it takes this, this idea of trying to win at all costs for ourselves. We fight like everyone to win, and we lose for Jesus. Well, he pivots it with these two rhetorical questions in verse 7. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not? Let's handle it differently. You're going to squabble. You're going to fight. You're going to step on each other's toes. But can we do it differently? Why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? Why not lose? And when I, I, this is the Sean paraphrase. Why not lose like Jesus? Today's idea is what? To lose like Jesus. And Jesus showed us how to lose. Like I said, Jesus lost, right? At, at moments in his life and in his ministry, he lost something. He was betrayed. Imagine sitting at the Last Supper and looking across the table and seeing Judas, the guy that's going to sell you out for 30 pieces of silver. Like, Jesus knows this. Looking around the table and, and washing the feet of 11 other guys that in your darkest moment are going to abandon you and run out on you and deny even knowing you. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lied about, to have the facts distorted, to be gossiped about, plotted against. Jesus felt hurt and betrayed, abandoned. I don't think I'm being flippant in saying Jesus knows what it's like to feel scammed emotionally and relationally. He knows what it means to lose. We follow a God that knows what it means to lose. He showed us how to lose. And if we're all honest with ourselves, each and every one of us is just like those disciples sitting around the table. We have told Jesus promises that we haven't kept. Oh, Jesus, I'll do this and I'll do that. We've negotiated with Jesus out of our problems and out of our situation. Oh, Jesus, if you just do, and we've kept, we've tried to keep promises that we wouldn't. We've told Jesus things that we didn't live up to. We've wronged Jesus. We've sinned. We've chosen ourselves to be our gods at different times. We've betrayed him. And yet, how does Jesus respond to that loss? He shows kindness. He offers forgiveness. He shows patience. He extends grace. He has a gentleness to the people in Corinth, to the people of Hub City Church, to to the disciples sitting around that table. Jesus showed us how to lose, and it's with grace, and it's with patience and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. 
And what Paul is telling the Corinthians to do is to lose like Jesus, meaning do what Jesus has already done for you. Do that to each other. We've wronged Jesus. Jesus has shown us patience, so show patience. We've wronged Jesus, so Jesus has shown us forgiveness, so go and forgive. Show grace, show mercy, show compassion. Cut people some slack. Because he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not lose like Jesus? Jesus not only showed us how to lose, he showed us, he, he told us how to lose. He taught us, right? He gave us an example to follow, but he also gave us some teaching to follow as well. In Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus talk about how to lose when he says, go and love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Love those who don't love you back, those that betray you, who want to take advantage of you, who want to use you. Uh, You can go back and read Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And I I encourage you, read that passage this week. Jesus taught us how to lose, to extend a radical generosity to somebody that wants to take advantage of you, to love somebody who won't return it back to you. That's what we're called to do, to show a radical grace, an excessive kindness, even though they don't, quote unquote, deserve it. They didn't earn it. They weren't nice to me. They tried to use me. They tried to take something from me. And Jesus says to go do what? Go love your enemy. And it seems harsh to call somebody an enemy, even in church. I wouldn't walk around the room and say, like, you're my enemy. But when you're in conflict, how many of you feel like you're in combat? I'm combative with that person. They're not for me. They're against me. They betrayed me. They wronged me. They cheated me. But to love your enemy is to do what Jesus said, to lose, to put it into practice. So don't just say, man, I'm going to lose like Jesus. Like to actually go show that kind of kindness and generosity and gentleness and patience. He tells us how to do that. He also told us that, he told us how to lose, not by fighting to be right, but by contending for reconciliation. The other passage that's on there, uh, on that slide, comes from Matthew 18. Another great passage to go read, because Jesus says, and this is an interesting passage, but he says, wherever two or more are gathered, he says, I will be there. And this isn't about a, a, a scripture that you quote when nobody shows up to prayer night. This is a passage to say in the midst of conflict, when you're seeking wisdom and truth and and resolution, know that when when you get together, the God of truth is with you. The spirit of truth has filled you. You've got knowledge, you've got truth, you've got wisdom. And what Jesus begins to do is acknowledge that the the church community is a place that should be able to reconcile and resolve and, and fight for that and contend for that. Not fight for yourself and fight to be right, but to contend for reconciliation. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of what church can be. And I think that's what Paul is getting at when he almost sarcastically says, like, is there nobody in the church that can help you? I don't know if you, you picked up on that in verses two and three. Paul gets a little sarcastic in his, in his writing. It's hard to believe that somebody could write the New Testament and be sarcastic, but in chapter six, verse two and three, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, 
Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Now that is a packed passage. There's a lot there about the future and the present. Because Paul brings in this, this future of our role and responsibility with God of judging angels and the world. And I got a whole litany of scriptures if you want them out of Psalms and Daniel and Luke and Revelation. If you want those, come and find me. I will email those or text you those scriptures. But Paul is saying in the future, humanity is going to partner with God and going to have some responsibilities of judging. So if God's going to give us that kind of responsibility later, don't you think he's entrusted you to be able to handle a little squabble going on between the two of you right now? You've stepped on each other's toes. Let's work on this. God's put people in our church to help us walk through with wisdom and truth and knowledge and patience and kindness and goodness. Paul and Jesus are pointing to the community of God being a safe place, not a place that pushes things to the side and brushes them under the rug and hides things and says, oh, just get over it. What he's saying is the church can be a place where we find reconciliation and resolution and we don't just fight back to get our pound of flesh. We don't stonewall people. I don't like what you had to say, so I'm going to run away. We don't argue back to try to be right and get our way and blah, 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 and prove our point and be understood. No, we seek to understand. That's the beauty of what Paul and Jesus are getting at is the body of Christ is meant to, in the midst of conflict, find resolution. Contend for that. Jesus tells us how to lose. It's about bringing other people into the conversation in a safe manner. Not picking sides, but being united together. Not about getting things to be exactly as you want it, but to find unity, to find resolution, to find reconciliation. Jesus told us how to lose. So to lose like Jesus is to win for Jesus. To lose like Jesus is to win for Jesus, right? To see a victory for Jesus. Well, what is that victory? What does that mean? What kind of victory? How does Jesus win when I lose? What does that look like? As we think about some of the ways that we're called to lose of loving our enemies and laying down our lives and extending grace and patience and all of these things and bringing other people into the conversation and fighting for reconciliation, I want us to think about, well, how does that bring victory to Jesus? Notice I didn't say, it brings you victory. It brings me victory. No, it is a victory. It is a win. It is, a, uh, it is something good for the kingdom of God. It is something good for Jesus, not just you and me. How does Jesus win when we lose? Jesus wins when I act like Jesus. How is that? Because I'm developing as a disciple. I'm developing a heart that is more like Jesus. And Jesus wins. That's a victory for Christ because I'm more like him. Because I've learned in the midst of conflict to humble myself and to listen and to ask questions and to extend grace and cut people some slack. I develop as a child of God. Jesus said that when we love our enemies, we would experience a reward and that we would be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. 
I grow as a child of God. That's a win for Jesus, man, that he took this broken human being who took a step in the right direction in the midst of a difficult moment, chose to be more like Jesus than the world. That's a win for Christ. Jesus wins when his church is reconciled. Think about that. When we bring people into the conversation and into our betrayals and into our moments of feeling cheated, and we bring people in to find restoration and reconciliation, how does Jesus win? The body of Christ is more united. Is that a win for Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not a divided church. It's not a me church. It's not a get mine kind of church. Is the church going to be perfect? No, not until eternity. But we can handle our conflict in ways that bring life rather than tear people down. That's a win for Jesus. That this can be a safe place to make mistakes. That's a win for Jesus. That we won't be perfect. We follow the one that is, but we won't be perfect. But how we handle that imperfection how we make room for mistakes, how we allow people to develop to be more like Jesus. That's a win. That's a win for Christ. And how else will Jesus win when we lose? It brings it back to that conversation that Paul brings in about how people are watching. Jesus wins when the world is watching us and we actually live these things out because they see the gospel is real. They see the Jesus that you believe in is real. Jesus said in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's gonna be the distinguishing factor, how you love each other, how patient and kind, how forgiving and merciful and gentle, not just in the good times, but in the valleys of conflict. The world's gonna know that you follow a Jesus that is good. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has transformed you. That they will see something different. That's what it's, that's a win for Jesus. When the world outside can look at the church, can look at Christians and say, man, I want what they got. The ability to navigate difficulty and conflict and, and, and hurt and pain, but you did it in a way that still brought life. I want what you got. And as we close today, I, I know to this topic, this theme, and this is complicated, hence the title. It's complicated. All of these Corinthian passages and, and themes that we're talking about, they're complicated because if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? We would have no problem. We wouldn't need to learn and talk about these things. But you know what? No one likes to lose. How many like to lose? Anybody? Again, no hands. No one likes to lose. What are we taught? We're taught to fight. Fight for what's ours. Fight for our possessions. Fight for ourselves. Fight for our rights. To make it fair. To make it right. But we would all agree that it's not going to be fair. And unfortunately, it's not going to be fair in the church at times. We're going to be hurt by people. We're going to be disappointed by people. We're going to be betrayed by people. We're going to be cheated by people. And my hope is that Hub City Church 
we can be a people who learn to, to lose like Jesus. That phrase has just been ringing in my ear all week. How do I lose like Jesus? Because I want to see victories for Jesus. Yeah, I want victories for Sean. I'm human. I want to win. But when I learn to lose like Jesus, I want to see Jesus win. I want to see the gospel permeate into our community. I want to see the church united. I want to see my own life develop in the character and the heartbeat of Jesus. That's winning. And that's what I want for us. Let's pray. I want to pray for us this morning um, in understanding that with this topic, it may bring up something that hurts. And I want to pray for two groups of people. One, if you feel like you've been hurt, and for others, that we learn to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and lose like him. But that first group, I just want to pray for you this morning. If you're, if you're feeling, as we're talking about this, just memories and emotions and, and conversations or comments or things that have just stuck with you, conflicts of the past that maybe you've been, without even realizing it, you've been holding on to it. And I just want to pray for you to experience a healing, a letting go. You've been hanging on to something and, and today's maybe the day to let go of those things. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Jesus, I, I pray for those raising their hand or, or that raise their hand, God, and they just resonate with that sentiment, God, that, that there is pain, there is hurt, there has been betrayal, there has been a wound caused by another person. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, God, there's still valid emotions and feelings associated with that experience. And Jesus, I pray in this moment that we're able to just give those things to you, to surrender those things to you, to not hold on any longer to the pain. But Jesus, you came to heal. Not just the physical, but you heal the emotional and the relational, the spiritual wounds that have been caused. Jesus, I pray for your healing. I want to pray also for anyone right now that just feels they don't want to, they don't want to lose. But I, I'll just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but Jesus, I just pray right now for any of us in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of disappointment that want to hang on and we want to fight. We want to be right. We want what's ours. We want to stand. I pray right now, God, that you would begin to, to just shift our paradigm. As Paul said, why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? Why not lose? I pray right now that you would begin, Holy Spirit, to just shape and mold our hearts and just begin to lead us 
in your footsteps of being somebody who knows how to lose, how to let go, how to forgive, how to extend grace, how to be patient. It's not easy. But Jesus, we want to be more like you. And we pray for your help in being able to do that. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.